Hey everyone, welcome to Being Well. I'm Forrest Hansen. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. I'm joined today, as usual, by Dr. Rick Hansen. Rick is a clinical psychologist and a best-selling author who spent over 35 years teaching people the key lessons from psychology and contemplative practice that lead to a good life. I'm also happy to say that he happens to be my dad. So, Dad, how are you doing today? I'm glad you're my son. <laughs> well, I'm generally happy to be your son, so that one worked out really well for us. <laughs> so today, our conversation is based on a remark that you made during the intro to an episode about a month ago. Uh, you said that recently you'd been working on having a genuine feeling of contentment during challenging times and maintaining that sense of contentment even while pursuing good goals and pushing for change in yourself and out in the world. I then joked that you were essentially fighting the capitalist paradigm with inner peace, uh, which still kind of tickles me a little bit as a phrase to say. So that's what we're going to be exploring today. Uh, maintaining contentment, calm, inner peace, whatever you want to call it, while still aiming high, pursuing good goals, and experiencing natural frustration and anger. There's a lot to unpack there, including, hey, is contentment even a good goal? Perhaps especially when there's a lot of injustice out there in the world. So we might not so much get to the capitalist paradigm part, because uh, that could get me into trouble with some people, but outside of that, does that sound pretty good to you? It's a great topic, and one that's extremely timely. Yeah, no, totally. It's definitely kind of stimulated by a lot of stuff that's been going on uh, socially and culturally and politically and all that good mess out there. Before we get into the conversation, quick reminder about Rick's Positive Neuroplasticity Training online course. It's a six-week course focused on helping people achieve change that lasts. If you're interested in it, you can learn more through the link in the description of today's episode, and podcast listeners can use the coupon code BEWELL50 to get an extra $50 off the already discounted price. Dad, I'd love it if you started by just expanding on what you've been thinking about that kind of led to this topic. As we live, we are faced with challenges and opportunities routinely. And then the question is, how do we experience ourselves as we deal with challenges and pursue opportunities? Do we feel like something is missing or something is disturbed that we need to fix? Or do we feel that there is already an underlying fundamental inner balance in us and sense of fullness, sense of enoughness already? Kind of the two choices. Now, to be clear, we can experience the, the, a background mood of contentment, love, and inner peace while the surface of our mind is caught up with some momentary irritation or frustration or worry. But in the background, the overall space of who we experience ourselves to be can feel really pretty good. So then the question becomes, why does this matter and how can we cultivate a greater sense of contentment? It matters because if we're feeling stressed and frustrated, that's gonna create suffering for us that often ripples out to affect others and gradually wears down the body. On the other hand, if we can uh, experience an underlying resilient well-being characterized with this sense of thankfulness for all that we've received, a kind of awestruck gratitude at the amazingness of life, and a feeling of just basic contentment with all that we have already, even as we pursue more, if we can experience that, then, number one, we're going to be happier, and number two, 
We're going to protect our vehicle. We're going to protect our body-mind and refuel it so that we're actually even more effective in dreaming big dreams and uh, accomplishing all the things that we need to accomplish. Mm -hmm. So it's one thing to be kind of in awe of the miracle that is everyday life when our everyday lives are pleasant and enjoyable and we feel like good things are going on out in the world. But as I alluded to in the introduction, I think that a lot of people are having experiences, particularly right now, of a lot of less than great stuff going on out in the world, whether it be topics related to social justice or it be just the experience of quarantine or, hey, here we are living in Northern California where every time I look out the window, it's smoky outside because there are these enormous wildfires that are burning and that puts an enormous amount of pressure on a lot of people. And there are people who are legitimately afraid at the very least for losing most of their worldly possessions in the form of their property all the way to, at most, the threats of COVID and threat to loved ones and things like that. So maintaining that contentment is sort of one thing when like you're you're sitting on a cushion, to use sort of the stereotypical example, with like a cup of tea and you're being really mindful and you're meditating. And quite another when you're engaging with all of these really understandably unpleasant experiences that people are having out in the world these days. So in that context, is there a practice or like a way that you work to maintain more of that sense of contentment, uh, even when things are tough outside? There are certain moments where you'd have to be insane to feel content. You're, you're running for your life, you're building, your house is burning down, uh, your mom and I have packed our go bags, we live in a fire risky region, we're ready to go, and we're not very happy about that, but okay. There are certain moments when you're not gonna be feeling at peace and content inside yourself. On the other hand, What we can do with practice, and this goes to the question you've asked, with practice, we can kind of build up inner shock absorbers um, so that we have more of this resting state deep down inside ourselves, in, in the core of our being, underneath it all, that is unconditionally contented, unconditionally peaceful and open hearted. We can really develop that. So, how to do that? One of the keys for me is to watch my mind's tendency, which I think is rooted in our biology as driven creatures. It's also rooted in my own 50 years of drivenness that you observed up close and personally (laughs) for many years, uh, and is rooted in a culture that we have that always wants us to chase the next shinier capitalist system object, right? And so it's very useful to explore little things like doing an email, or doing a conversation with a friend, or handling some issue in your home. To do that and be goal-directed while focusing on a feeling of contentment already. And you'll watch delusional greed, to put it a certain way. You'll watch in your mind this automatic tendency to feel that there's not enough, and you have to get tense and self-preoccupied to strive for more. And you realize, I don't actually need to do that. I can pursue more. I can take care of items on my to-do list without that sense of striving and contraction and tension and accumulation for me, 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 right? I don't need to pay that price. I don't need to suffer that collateral damage. And so for me, that's a lot, the exploration through mindfulness, is to realize, oh, I can operate in life deliberately by 
remembering contentment many times throughout the day. Now, I can say as someone who's been practicing with this, it's weirdly difficult. You have to work at feeling contented. But with repetition, you really can develop this background fundamental mood of um, thankfulness and enoughness already. I'm going to push on this a little bit more because I think that it's a really central question to everything we're talking about here. Kind of, again, it, it's sort of one thing to increase your resting state of, uh, of contentment in sort of a general scenario where life just kind of is what it is. And then there are things that push us down to kind of think of it like a meter, a contentment meter, if you will, um, when times are really tough. Like, I think that it's different to be sort of content under a neutral environment versus a challenging environment. And when things are going on out there in the world that are really rattling our contentment, what are the th some of the things that you do to recover from them and to kind of like return yourself to that contented home base? Right. I think it's helpful to look for models around you of people who, whether they're, they might be famous, they might be not famous, people who somehow seem to be both engaged with the real world, including dealing with issues like systemic racism, social justice issues that are understandably um, appalling and understandably generate a sense of outrage, while in the core of their being, you can feel that they're contented with their life altogether. Mm. They're grateful for the life that they have as a whole. And they can return to, they can get in touch with this underlying sense of things as a kind of inner refuge. They can come back to it. So just having those examples is part one. Part two, uh, through many of the practices that you and I developed in the book Resilient, and um, are also can be explored on my website, rickhanson.net, people can gradually uh, learn to become less reactivated by pressures and challenges around them, less triggered by them. People can build out that space that you talk about between stimulus and response so that they're not so invaded by the negative. That's another major, major practice. And part of that is to take appropriate action. Action binds anxiety, action eases anger. Do what you need to do for the things that you find frustrating and disappointing and discontenting for you. And then third, last, when you have opportunities to experience what for you is a sense of a kind of comforting pause, you got something done, uh, you can plop at the end of the day, you can sort of exhale that something you worried about did not happen, you can feel a genuine sense of thankfulness, you even can open deliberately into a sense of mystery and awe. As you do that, including in very homespun, very, very down-to-earth ways, cherish those experiences, not out of trying to pile them up because then that would be discontented, but out of valuing them and helping them really land. Receive them into yourself again and again and again. I find that that's a very powerful practice. And maybe the last thing, just to repeat what I said previously, is to be mindful of discontentment of discontent. It's an auto-striving, 
auto-drivenness and to realize, wow, that gets added so often to what is already perfectly productive, perfectly effective, perfectly efficient, perfectly engaged with the world. I don't need to add stress and discontent to the pursuit of my various goals. You've alluded to this a couple of times, and particularly just there in your usage of the word driven, which I really want to kind of get into here. Um, A common argument that people run into in this territory is that if somebody is content, that that basically means that they're settling for the life that they currently have. Mm -hmm. After all, if you're content, then you're going to be less motivated, quote unquote, to change yourself or the circumstances that you exist inside of. That's a deep misunderstanding. Okay, great. So like you've used the word driven as kind of a pejorative, mm-hmm. um, a soft pejorative maybe, yeah. but, but a negative word uh, a couple of times already in this conversation. And I think that most people have a pretty positive association with the word driven. And so I think that you're drawing a distinction here that might be novel to some people. Let's think of the word discontent. So if someone is discontented, they're dissatisfied, there's a sense of lack, of want. Those are not positive states of being. Uh, we may transit them. They're, they're normal. They're not abnormal. If we fight them, if we're discontented about being discontent, that just adds to our discontentment. Uh, there's a term in uh, Buddhism, dukkha dukkha. It means suffering that we suffer, right? It's like add-on uh, suffering. Discontent is not so good. So the question is, Forrest, I think you completely raise it. How can we be strong in the service of others? Mm-hmm. How can we uh, sustain effort over long periods when, we're, when the effort is uncomfortable? Understandably, we're weary, we're tired. Um, we have to, in some sense, strain. We have to work to get things done. That may not be our preference at all, but we need to do it, Right. How can we do that without paying the toll of discontent along the way? That's kind of the question. And I think what people observe in their own experience, when they move out of the abstract seeming, I think, straw man argument that if you were contented, you would just sit on your butt all day long eating bonbons, disengage from that abstraction and look directly at your own experience. What happens? when you're enthusiastic, when you're delighted with what you're doing, when there's a sense of um, gratitude and lightheartedness as you engage the various tasks of your day, what happens inside you when you start moving away from an outcome orientation to more of a process orientation in which the action itself is its own reward? in an intrinsic sense, and and the more global sense of going on being, of ongoing beingness as tasks are accomplished is its own reward. What happens when you shift into that different way of being, right? And people can definitely experience this. You don't need to be a yogi. You don't need to be a big meditator to experience this. You can observe directly that you can accomplish various tasks while regenerating again and again, deliberately, to compensate for our tendencies through the negativity bias toward a sense of lack, you can regenerate again and again a sense of sufficiency in, the, in things as they are. I think it is true 
that if a person has gone through a lot of stressful drivenness in the negative sense of that, think about driving um, a team of horses, hauling a heavy load up a hill, you know, with goads, with sticks, with punishments of various kinds. That's what it feels like to be driven. The longer we've clocked in being driven, maybe the longer we need to sit on our butt. You know, the longer we need to just sort of clock out for a while uh, before we naturally start looking around for something new to create, some new form of generativity to explore mm-hmm. in ourselves, to, to uh, enable the flowing through us to happen. Yeah. So I think that a big part of what you're talking about here is what our relationship is to achievement fundamentally. Okay. Like, are we pursuing achievement from a sense inside that there's something that is lacking with us already and therefore we must accomplish something that will like fill that hole in the heart? Or are we relating to achievement from a framework, as you're saying, of contentment and using contentment with ourselves as a propelling tool? Mm-hmm. to get us toward greater levels of achievement. Because maybe when we're contented, we're more in touch with the parts of ourself that have desires on certain levels, maybe yeah. even subconscious desires for certain kinds of things. Yeah. Or maybe we just feel we just feel more fulfilled, broadly speaking, and that enables us to sustain effort uh, toward good ends, things like that. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I'm thinking about self-actualization, for example, mm-hmm. Maslow's work and needs our hierarchy and so forth. It's interesting that while there's some dispute about the exact sequence in his hierarchy, the fundamental distinction that he described is between what he called D needs and B needs. D as in dog, B as in boy. All right. So D needs are deficiency-based needs. So if there's a deficiency of survival supplies, that's, that's the need that's foregrounded. Once that need is kind of managed, then if there's a deficiency of safety, that's the need that's foregrounded. Then if there's a deficiency of social supplies, healthy relationships, that's the need that's foregrounded. And then finally, if there's a deficiency of status, of recognition of various kinds, then that's the need that's foregrounded. And then as those needs are managed, a B need, B for being, comes forth in which there's a movement toward um, unleashing and actualizing the potential that's within every person. So right there, we have this sense of deficiency, lack, something wanting, discontent, or operating uh, in life and orienting to life more on the basis of a fullness already, not on the basis of something missing. And in a way, self-actualization, even though it's, it's definitely something I've studied quite a lot and I, I know a fair amount about it, it, it feels kind of fuzzy and abstract. It's kind of a cool idea, you know, but we'll actualize, what does that mean? But contentment, uh, I think about cooking while contented. In other words, as we cook, uh, whether it's a meal or our life, as we pull together the ingredients, apply energy and craft to it and generate something good, right? Can we cook while feeling contented? Driving while content. Podding, podcasting while content. It's a really interesting experience to focus on. Is it? I mean, like, what do you you mean by that? Like, how is that different from just living life? I'm confused. Well, I could could be interacting with you right now, Forrest, my Uh beloved firstborn child. 
And I, and I love my second-born one as well, for the record, for sure. <laughs> anyway, um, I could be here with a sense of feeling une- unsettled, uneasy, something's maybe wrong, I got to fix something, with an associated emotion of stress, burden, contraction, self-preoccupation, and so forth and so forth, right? Or I could not have that sense that there's something wrong or something missing or something that I need to watch, be very vigilant about, otherwise could go terribly wrong if I'm not super careful, right? I don't need to add that to the experience of just getting our job done here, right? In much the same way, it's so interesting to pursue a simple goal, reach for a cup, literally. What's it like to reach for a cup while focusing on the experience of feeling satisfied with your life already. Everyone can do that. And what you'll notice often is that you reach for the cup and you feel numb inside. Conventionally, we often will feel numb inside or we'll feel kind of nothing much. But to deliberately highlight, what would it be like to feel, you know, in this life, I of course want to keep living, I want to keep building things, but in this life, I can feel so satisfied already. It's not about being some sort of posh, rich, privileged person who can get away with this. Think about monastics who have extremely simple lives. They don't eat very much. They don't have any possessions. They don't have access to lots and lots of worldly pleasures. And still, there's an enormous contentment. I think of the line from Thoreau, I make myself rich by making my wants few. And I think there to underline the, uh, the deep meaning of the word want as a sense of lack. So to kind of summarize a lot of what we've talked about so far, there's a difference between contentment and complacency, to put it simply. And our goal is to find that sense of inner fulfillment even as we pursue good goals. And one way to think about it maybe as being this kind of spectrum, where on one side of the spectrum is a workaholic type A personality. A negative drivenness, to use the word the way that you used it previously. Uh, They might be in heavy pursuit of a better life, but they're not really taking a lot of pleasure along the way. That goal that they might have of fulfillment is kind of always a little bit out of reach. There's always something else that there's doing. There might be some hedonic pleasure involved, but there's probably not a lot of eudaimonic pleasure involved, to kind of refer to Maslow's hierarchy that you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Then on the other side of the spectrum, there's somebody who's really complacent. This this distinction you're drawing for us is brilliant. It's great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I uh, I'm not sure how original it is, but I'm, I I'm never happy heard to it before. Speak it out. Awesome. Yeah. So this then on the other side of the spectrum, there's the complacent personality. Yeah. And this is the uh, the dog in the house that's on fire with the tea. The this is fine dog. If you've ever seen that meme. Oh no, I haven't seen that one. No. Okay. Well, I have to imagine ninety percent of the listeners are familiar with the dog with the house on fire. Anyone who traffics on the internet. So in other words, not Rick, but everyone else has seen that meme. Um, and that's the complacent personality, right? You, got you might it. seem content. Or, or if I could add to it, just mm-hmm. build on what you're saying. Yeah, please. The the dog watching. The houses of others burned down. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the saying that the, the silence is approval. In effect, how do you put it? Uh, silence is complicity. You know, with a with oppression. Yeah. yeah, complicity and complacency are not contentment. 
Yeah, and I think that that's a great way to frame it. Um, you might seem content under those circumstances. It might like appear outwardly that you're sipping your tea, but circumstances are not ideal. And they might range from being not ideal to being actively problematic with a lot of presentation of, oh, this is okay, but really I'm suffering a lot internally. And between those two, there's this kind of healthy marriage of contentment, and maybe you call it commitment, um, as opposed to like drivenness, yeah. where you want to be committed to that continued process of internal and external growth, whether you're helping yourself or you're helping other people out in the world. But alongside that, there's that deep sense of peace and fullness and enoughness that you were describing in terms of reaching for the cup, feeling happy already. It's like, I want to drink the water in the cup. I am thirsty. This is a need that I am taking action to fulfill. But beneath that, deeper than that, deeper than that surface need, there's this underlying kind of deep, calm ocean of contentment. And that's what we're trying to kind of build up inside of ourselves. Right. I'm imagining almost a two-by-two two matrix just based on talking with you. The column of action and mood, let's say. And under the column of action, the two cells are either yes or no. <laughs> you know. And then in terms of your mood, the uh, two cells are, let's say, content, discontent. And what I'm interested in is where is the intersection of mm -hmm. skillful action and contentment. Yeah, perfect. So to kind of pull that apart a little bit, yeah. um, to again speak to two natural critiques that arise, uh, we've all probably met somebody who was pretty darn content with themselves, who was just also a total pain in the ass to be around. Oh yeah, selfish, lazy. Yeah. Yep. They might quote unquote appear content with their level of development, but that doesn't like make them a good person. And then as you were saying before, on a social level, Someone might view contentment as essentially being complicit with injustice and right. um, the whole language around silence supporting oppression, which is yep. absolutely true. Or even to kind of take it to another level, how can you even kind of talk about contentment when so much bad stuff is going on out there, quote unquote? Yeah. And I think that the way that you've articulated this about that matrix of good action being married with enoughness inside, or if you want to call it... Uh, like a secure base to use mm -hmm. the psychological language or anything yep. like that, that really kind of clarifies a lot of those natural critiques and I think takes it out of some of the ways that people have used and misused the language of contentment. Does that sound about right to you? Right. I think we can be enormously troubled by the world and we can really feel keenly and you know me, Forrest. You're someone who's tried to talk me off the ledge from time to time. As mm. someone who can feel keenly the gap between the way the world is and how the world realistically and truly could be for all seven and a half billion people, not just the most fortunate 10% of them. And so we can feel those things and we can be motivated by that to take effective action while feeling unhappy, miserable, flooded with anger, frustrated and inside ourselves. Or we can similarly feel these things and take action, but while having an underlying sense of inner peace and happiness at the, at the life 
that we've been able, as best we can, to have. That's available to us. And that's what I'm talking about. I think that actually mood is, in principle, decoupled from action. And so the question is, if we're going to take appropriate action, on the basis of what kind of mood? Mm. And we're exploring here the cultivation of the mood of contentment. So let's drill down into that a bit more. This has been, I think, some really good setup, but we've got to kind of get to the punchline here. What are some of the ways that we can maintain our contentment while also being engaged in all of those ways that you described? And yeah. you actually, in our um, in the setup of this, you already named a few. Yep. You named basically fighting the negativity bias already as kind of yep. a way to do it. Um, noticing all the little ways that are trying to find another way to say it, but there's really no other way to say it. Our evolutionary biology mm -hmm. moves us into wanting and feeling yeah. a sense of lack internally all the time, then noticing the ways that our culture pushes us towards wanting and noticing a sense of lack. Yep. And then you also mentioned kind of uh, finding a sense of wonder in the world more broadly. And repeatedly internalize. Mm -hmm. And then repeatedly internalizing that sense of wonder, good experiences that come along, things the like sense that. sense of contentment, so, yeah. Outside of those things, do you have any other recommendations for people of how they can maintain that while also being engaged towards good ends? A mm. couple things. One is take action. Uh, in other words, as we are less discontent, there's room to become more contented. And if there are things that you feel discontent about, like on any given day, you wish that you would fill in the blank, start exercising more, talk at a deeper level with your partner, make some progress in your own career. If that's understandably leaving you with a sense of dissatisfaction, listen to that sense of dissatisfaction and take appropriate action. Another is uh, with regard to these, you know, to what helps us feel contented, uh, it's really interesting that when we get more of a sense of things as a whole, of any kind, our body as a whole, the room as a whole, our mind as a whole, society, reality, earth as a whole, the universe as a whole. As we move more and more out into a whole, people can immediately experience that a certain quality of unsatisfactoriness, discontent, uh, something missing, something wrong in their experience of life starts to fade. It's a really interesting practice, being aware of like breathing in your chest as a whole, breathing in your body as a whole and awareness of the room as a whole, that tends to naturally move people into a greater sense of contentment. Another thing is to learn what it's like to be enthusiastic, distinct from being excited. And the root of the word for enthusiasm is quite lovely. It means deus, and deus, the God within, or that which mm. is mm -hmm. um, deeply uh, enli enlivened and beautiful and wonderful living through you. Enthusiasm, enthusiastic action. You know, one of the things that uh, happened when uh, you were little and we were living in Sausalito, and we would see these uh, these people coming off the ferry uh, at the end of the day uh, after you know going into the city and work all day, and none of them looked very enthusiastic. They mm. looked completely worn down by their life. There was not much sense of enthusiasm. I'm sure they worked hard. They were driven. A lot of them had big jobs. Whatever. But were they enthusiastic? Were they enthused? I think of the, the meaning of the word amateur, ama, someone who loves what they do. That's the amateur. 
right? That sense of being an amateur. Uh, when you're in touch with natural enthusiasm, that uh, naturally draws you very close to contentment. And then the last mm. suggestion I would just offer here about all this is to become disenchanted. In other words, disenchantment aids contentment because as we basically observe how our inner advertising agency and our inner fear mongers drive us onward to chase carrots and avoid sticks, when we observe again and again and again that the carrot we've been chasing when we finally have it isn't all that great, and if the stick ever lands, uh, we don't like it, but it wasn't so horrible. We start to become increasingly disenchanted of the machinery of craving and drivenness inside ourselves. We start to realize, you know, it just doesn't matter that much. It's not that great. So we start seeing through the fool's gold of so many of the things we chase. We wake up from the spell cast by Mother Nature to motivate her little children to keep chasing the rabbit, right? Um, and that's a very powerful thing, to wake up from those spells, which makes room for greater contentment. I find this for us, by the way, it might seem kind of abstract for people, and I want to repeatedly point it out. It comes down to the immediacy of the experience. Can you wash the dish while feeling basically an enoughness already in your life? Can you be mindful of qualities of discontent, frustration, disappointment, a sense of dissatisfaction that's grinding away inside you? Can you be aware of that? And can you gradually explore what it's like? Reach for a doorknob or walk through a door or have a conversation with a friend while continually sort of regenerating the felt sense of contentment underneath it all. Mm. And at a very, very deep level, this is a profound psycho-spiritual practice of awakening because it undermines radically at the root, radically and immediately, the machinery of craving that creates so much suffering and harm. Mm. I want to kind of workshop this idea with you. I think that it's possible to be pissed and content at the same time, which sounds kind of weird to say, but I think it's possible. I, I'm I'm pissed about a lot of things out in the world, and I'm also content with what I'm doing in my life right now. I'm, yeah. I'm content with talking with you. I'm content with recording the podcast. I'm content with, uh, I don't know, like living in my little condo with my girlfriend. Like I'm, I'm basically content with those things. Mm. And I can imagine being in considerably worse circumstances and also being content, finding other things to be content about, ranging from I'm content with the coffee I drank this morning or the tea I drank this morning if you're not a coffee drinker, to I'm content with the feeling of the sheets at night and my bed to whatever, while still being kind of pissed about what's going on out there. Um, mm -hmm. I'm pissed about a lot of issues related to social justice right now. I'm pissed about a lot of political issues right now. Um, I'm pissed that we keep on lighting our state on fire right now. Like, I'm just kind of pissed about it. But I th those two things can coexist for me. I think it's a lot harder for contentment to exist alongside fear. Mm. I think it's hard to be afraid and to be content yeah. at the same time. I'm trying to think That's of what that really would interesting. look like for me, and I'm yeah. really struggling to find an example of afraid and content. And I think that at the very least, the degree of difficulty is higher. Oh, yeah. And I think it's interesting that you point to that kind of biological machinery of craving, 
Yeah. Um, the the things that tie us to our little rodent ancestors, you know, rolling around on the prairie. <laughs> or dodging velociraptors. Or dodging velociraptors or whatever else it might be. And and I think that it's so interesting that like I think of the key operating emotion for a mouse as basically being fear. Hmm. You know, you're afraid that you're gonna get eaten, you're afraid that you're not gonna have enough food, you're afraid that you're not gonna find a mate. Fundamentally are like deep, deep, deep needs. Yeah. And those three things are absolute lethal attacks on the contentment of that mouse because Mother Nature doesn't want you to be content. It wants you to keep on finding more food and finding more mates and finding more shelter and running away from whatever else. Um, and I, I'm just kind of reflecting on that, and I'm wondering if you have any thoughts related to it. Well, I, first, I love the, di the distinction you drew between fear and anger in terms of contentment. And as we talk, Forrest, which I just love doing with you, it, it makes me think about, to put it a simplified kind of way, two levels of contentment, provincial and profound. What I mean by provincial is sort of conventional contentment, where a person says, you know, I have enough sweaters in my closet already. Or... You know, I'm living in my fairly affluent, developed part of the world, middle class, upper middle class life. I should be content with that and not go crazy because I don't have 10 more million dollars. Okay. That might be called conventional contentment. And then, and, and that's okay. That's better than not discontent, including people who uh, use, as, as I do, I, I help myself feel contented by reminding myself, Rick, like for example, a person might feel discontent about what they've achieved in this life. And there comes a reckoning, which is well tracked by developmental psychologists in midlife and especially later midlife, you know, and I'm in the late side of midlife, where you look back on your life and you realize, you know, I'm just not going to ever get that Nobel Prize. I'm definitely not going to be on the list of Fortune magazines, 40 people under 40, because I'm no longer <laughs> under 40, right? <laughs> I, I'm not going to be an all pro. I might have been the best athlete in my state one year at something, but I'm never going to become an all pro. Right? You come to terms with that. Uh, but it's on the basis of having a lot already. It's, it's in some sense conditioned that that pathway into the sense of contentment is in some ways related to you know, appreciating what you've got already. And there's a place for that, gratitude for what you've got already. Then there's a more radical, a more unconditional, a more profound source of contentment where you find contentment in simply being. Are, or to put it a little differently, are you content with yourself as you are? Are you content with consciousness as it is? without getting metaphysical or spiritual, just your own phenomenology, the, the totality of your own experiencing. Can, can you rest in it with contentment as it is as a whole? Sim in other words, can you be content that you are conscious? Can you find contentment in just being as you are, in beingness itself? Can you find contentment in, in beingness itself. That's the deeper kind of contentment. And I really like it because it's paradoxically really scruffy and full of moxie and independent to say, you know, I'm going to take my stand in that kind of contentment 
no matter what's swirling around me. And it takes strength and determination and grit to do that. If you imagine yourself as 100%, is there 1% of you that can feel peaceful and serene, even while 99% of you is afraid? Like, I've experienced that. You can be really agitated. You could be really concerned. You could, you could be afraid for others, morally afraid for others, compassionately afraid for others, while amazingly, there's a serenity inside you woven through it all. I think that that's our true home. That's our true nature. It's what all the great teachers talk about in all the world's traditions, including secular ones. And with practice, we can recognize that serenity and contentment, which is already who we are. But it takes some practice, you know, amusingly, uh, to be who we've always been. I, I, I've talked about, I've written about uh, the very first time, Forrest, I got a diagnosis of a melanoma. And there was about a 10-day period in which we were trying to figure out what to do with this aggressive and potentially lethal skin cancer. And roughly for a 10-day period, I didn't know how it would go. I mean, and so my mind felt like it had three layers to it. Uh, the surface layer was full of problem solving. Then underneath the problem solving was another layer in which I felt like a small furry animal that was just scared and wanted to curl up and whimper while being kind of hugged and petted. Under that layer was a deep layer of complete inner peace, contentment, serenity underneath it all, which is quite startling. It felt almost transpersonal. And so I think that in this life, all those layers are to be included, right? And in my case, I, you know, I just wanted to curl up. I was shocked. I was scared. You know, right? but if that's all we've got, if only those first two layers are what we experience in this life, we're in trouble, right? Our well-being is so dependent that on our circumstances, and no one can evade bad circumstances while having a mortal body. That's why that third layer, and which is what, for me, is the essence of what we're trying to talk about. I'm trying to talk about an aspect of that underlying layer and the cultivation of it and the finding of it, even in the middle of everyday life. I think that that's a great story, and it's a great example of finding that deep, safe, comfortable home base, even amidst a lot of fear, a lot of discomfort, a lot of discontentment. And a good example of just how somebody can build that up over time so that they can find contentment even among really challenging circumstances. To give kind of one final thought before we wrap up this episode, I'm personally really inclined to push back on the idea that contentment in some manner means that you're not taking enough active action out in the world. And I think that you see this on social media sometimes where there's a lot of pressure to be like overtly pissed off about different kinds of things and to just kind of go, go, go and push, push, push. And to me, what it gets back to is you can't pour water from an empty cup. You can't just be mad all the time. And even amidst intense effort, you need to find some opportunities to experience the, the sense of contentment, the sense of all right right now, to move yourself away from that anger, to move yourself away from that fear. 
and back to the experience of that underlying home base. Um, and I think that that's a really important thing to cultivate. You've given a number of good ways to do that and a number of good practices. And I think that that's a good place to leave it for today. That's great, Forrest. And I recognize that some of the things I was saying were fairly abstract. And that's why I think it really helps to bring it down to, as you, for example, take a breath, can you feel contented with the amount of air you're getting in that breath? And then breath after breath. As you drink a little water, can you feel satisfied by the amount of water you're getting? And explore that experience and increasingly help yourself dwell in that experience in an ongoing kind of way. Yeah, no, I think it's a great piece of advice and a great kind of summary of what we've talked about today. To give a little bit more of a summary today, we talked about contentment um, and particularly how you can be content in a world that often feels like it's falling apart. You began by kind of expanding on that idea of uh, contentment amidst discontenting circumstances and how we can find contentment in even the small moments of life, even when other things in our life are going less than well. We then spoke to some core objections that people often raise about contentment, uh, the first one being that we live in a society that is oriented around pushing and striving and wanting to be more tomorrow than we were today. And yes, we probably should want to be more tomorrow than we are today, but the question is where does that motivation come from? Does it come from a place of contentment or does it come from looking around and feeling like everything's basically really crappy and so we must constantly improve our circumstances, the kind of capitalist dream that we sketched out early on. Then you gave a number of ways that people can build up that stable base of contentment even among challenging circumstances. One of the ones that you continually return to is the experience of contentment in the flow of everyday life. Can you reach to a cup with a feeling of contentment? Can you wash the dishes with a feeling of contentment? Can you look out the window at the smoke outside as your state lights itself on fire and feel contentment, even while looking out there and going, wow, I wish that that were different. Yeah. And I think that that's really the kind of secret sauce that you're speaking to here. All that said, um, I want to let people know about a couple of things before we get going. The first is that you've recently opened registration for a online program of yours. It's called the Positive Neuroplasticity Training. It's a very high-minded title, uh, but I think the content in it is really useful and extremely accessible. Do you want to kind of take a moment to talk about that a little bit? Oh, thanks. Super briefly, this is a fundamental summary of the general how of changing your brain and therefore your life for the better. Or to put it a little differently, this is the, this is the summary grounded in brain science for how you can steepen the rate of healing and growing and developing for yourself, which in effect, if you think of it, is the superpower of superpowers. Learning is the strength of strengths because it's what we use to grow the rest of them. So that's what it's about in terms of the how and then we apply that how in the positive neuroplasticity training to growing broadly an underlying sense of peacefulness, contentment, and love, in, including in ways that use those positive experiences of peace, contentment, and love broadly to heal underlying experiences of fear, anger, frustration, loss, even trauma and a sense of loneliness or feeling inadequate. These are topics that we actually explore in this very experiential way. 
Yeah, so there is a live component and a recorded component. Uh, the first live session, I think, is September 22nd. And if you would like to register for the course, you could use the code BWELL50 uh, for podcast listeners to get another $50 off the purchase price. And I've included a link to it in the description of today's podcast. Before we go, I also want to remind you about our Patreon account. It's at patreon.com slash beingwellpodcast. I really appreciate everyone who supports us through Patreon. You can sign up for the cost of a couple cups of coffee a month to receive expanded show notes. You can come in at a higher tier than that to get access to a monthly Q&A that Rick and I do uh, exclusively for Patreon subscribers. And more importantly than all of that, you'll know that you're supporting the show and helping us to create these podcasts. Finally, finally, if you've been enjoying the show, we'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe to us through the platform of your choice and maybe even leave a rating and a positive review. It really does help us out. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>